And that would mean that the model has economic incentives. That that's something that I discovered also is that people won't really care unless they get paid for it or there's a way that they could earn more money. With it. So that that is why we're looking at technology such as Web3 and just the blockchain in, in essence in creating and being open and safe, so secure with the way that we go on about creating that economic incentive. <laughs> Hello, 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 and good morning, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are in the world today. Welcome to a brand new Social Convos. And everybody that's tuning in, of course, a happy Chinese New Year as well. Diego, how are, how are you, man? Yeah, I've been brushing up on my Chinese. I think you just muted yourself, but yeah. How, uh, how is your Chinese going so far? It's, it's all right. So it's... The lunar festival, right? So New Year, you'd say Xinyan Kuala, but in this case, uh, I think the correct one is Chujie uh, Kuala. And yeah, to everybody, a happy Lunar New Year. And this evening we have with us Timothy Houtsand. And I first encountered Timothy, I think a few weeks ago when I was still mayor. Our common friend Devin sent us, sent me at least a Twitter space invite and i just had enough perception to join in uh, the session and i hear these guys talk about you know uh, web3 climate change and usually since Suriname is so small usually if someone is act remotely active in the space you kind of know about them or uh, or know them through some of the mutual friends or mutual connections but i've never seen or heard about timothy before and it's quite i i, I listened in quite interesting concept that these guys had and we'll dive a bit deeper into how he sees that, you know, a web three and climate change can mesh together and what he's planning with his startup infinity. So Timothy, welcome to social convos and can hey you guys. tell us why haven't we seen you or heard from you before? <laughs> well, that's very easy to explain. First of all, thank you for having and happy new year, Chinese new year, lunar new year to everyone else. Well, first of all, I'm a very introverted person. So I like being to myself and I'm social when it comes to my inner group, but outside of that, I don't really like to join a lot of groups or teams or just like chats, like the telegram group chat. I, I don't usually do that, but ever since I've been busy with this project, I've come to learn that it's, it's really good for people to see the face behind the product or the initiative or the company, because also what we're busy with, I think it has to do a lot with trustworthiness and yeah. So that's why I'm uh, making my grand entrance, so to say. It's funny because I do know Timothy. I don't know him with long hair. Somebody mentions me <laughs> with, with the long hair. I have seen some of your interviews. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's Apache, if I remember correctly. Could be, could be. Yeah. Yeah. Where could you, be. sorry, where you interviewed a lot of professionals, Surinamese professionals talking about opportunities, how to improve, but also talking about the leadership and improving in life. Am I correct or not? Yeah, you, you, you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're correct. <laughs> so yeah, so that, can, can you take us a little bit through the journey of, because what we're going to talk about today is for a lot of listeners, it's kind of new, it's kind of meta, but maybe you can, can 
tell people a little bit of about your journey? Because I do actually know things that you have done in the past. So I'm really interested to know how we, how we got to, to this version towards Web3 and climate change. Oh, that's, that's interesting, right? It's like basically a tell-all book, the autobiography. But so from, from my background perspective, I'm into business, business management. I've always been kind of a, like a salesperson. And ever since I was young, I was always trying to be entrepreneurial, even back when I was 14 or 16 years old. That's why I think if you go on my LinkedIn page, the first thing that I listed was working at the Surinamese Department of American Chamber of Commerce, because normally people at my age don't try to work in the summer for such a corp corporate setting. But I, I always was interested in, in trying to create businesses, not only because I didn't want to work for people, but just because I wanted to do what I believed that was, that, that was supposed to happen. And after a while, after, after I grade, graduated high school, I went to the Netherlands to study. I did international business management and international finance management, but I just, I didn't feel like I fit in with the community there like with, with the way society was working, with the pace, with everything, it just wasn't a good fit for me. Like I, I felt lost at the end of the day. Right. So I came back to Suriname and basically my parents were like, okay, you could come back. That's no problem. But what are you going to do? And that's when the whole process of me trying to find out what is it that I'm going to do started. And it took years, right? It's, it's, it's a process. And I don't think I'm done yet, but I definitely feel like I, I come a long way and I'm on the right journey. But with that being said, so yeah, I, I started dibbling and dabbling in a lot of things that caught my attention. I love the way I love being creative, busy with media. So at one point I joined a marketing agency where I got to kind of learn about the, the ins and outs of that. I worked at SRB just because I was interested in just the whole process of it. Surinamese owned alcoholic brand that's fully Surinamese owned that's produced here, all of that. So that, that was interesting. And yeah, it, it's just, uh, it's just trying to experience as much as possible and seeing what works and what doesn't work for me basically, and trying to find the truth within all of that. So you've dabbled quite a bit locally, at least in the, in the corporate world of Suriname. And yeah, the, it, it's a stark difference if you look at the pace in Europe, the Netherlands. And yeah, I kind of had a similar vibe just visiting. I, I didn't study in Netherlands, but just visiting, you, you can feel that rush, that rush life and that, you know, exactly. punctuality. But from your experiment, experience or your journey here in Suriname, especially in the corporate world, I'm curious to know if there's any for locals and having an outside perspective, anything in particular that people have a misconception about from the corporate world in Suriname or something that you yourself found surprising? Let me see. I, the, the culture differs, right? And I think maybe the, the, the biggest misconception would be that, yeah, I, I don't know how to formulate it, but it's, it's, I think a lot of people think that the corporate world in Suriname is is a lot of steps behind into what is happening in, in for example, developed countries such as the Netherlands or America, right? And it is true to a certain extent, but I feel like we, 
we aren't that far behind, at least the companies where I work at. And I must be honest, they're big companies such as Fernandez or Digicel or SIB, but it's, we're, we're on the right track when it comes to that part, but you do see cultural differences. For example, when we take breaks and the way that we act when it's a break, right? And, and for example, in, in, in the Netherlands, it's a totally different vibe. It's the way they do that, they go on about that and what they do with that time is way more productive than, for example, what we do in Syria. It's because we're really just going to eat and drink until it's time to go back and sit. Whereas in, in the Netherlands, I have a feeling they try to maximize that 15 or 30 minute break to the fullest. So that, that's the biggest difference. It's just culturally, like the, the company culture, everything it's, it's, I think it represents and, and the, the, the actual country. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because not only like the people that work there try to maximize it, but the company as well. It even yeah, got that's to true. a point now where there's kind of a law in the Netherlands where you're not allowed as a company to pay a certain amount of lunch for your employees because they were searching, how can we maximize the fact that the company can pay lunch for the employees and kind of maximize that financially. And then the government said like, wait a minute, you, you can't do that because it was, it was going to a further extent. So the efficiency thing is interesting. I, you saw me laughing when you mentioned that because for us, it's like lunch. Yeah. Where are we going to go? We, we, we can't send somebody out for an hour to get lunch for us. And everybody exactly. just waits until the, the lunch arrives and nobody yep. works until the lunch is there. So basically <laughs> the one hour break becomes a two hour break. So definitely, exactly. definitely. But, but then again, you've also seen what you liked about the corporate world and what you didn't like about the corporate world, not just in, in, in the Netherlands or in Suriname. So what do you think that the, the first question for me is, do you think it's Finding out what you don't like, do you think it's a personal thing? To what extent is it a personal thing? And what, to what extent is it for you a generational thing in, in the way that working is being perceived? First off, I do think it's a personal thing. And I, I believe that's the journey that you go through in life, right? Is trying to find what works for you and what doesn't, right? Because certain people need, for example, a micromanager because they themselves don't have the discipline or the necessary tools to manage their own like set of work that, that they have to do. Right. So, but for me, I'm, I'm the type of guy that if you micromanage me, I can't work. I just, I'm, I don't, I can't perform for you because I don't have the freedom to figure out how I could deliver the end result. Right. So it's like small things like that, that, that it's a, a personal journey. And, but I think it's only 50% because I do think the times are changing. And I think, especially the, the last two years that we've seen that the need for how we go on about working with each other, for example, within a corporation, that that wasn't as efficient as it was supposed to be. So I think even in that sense, it's changing for a lot of people. And what I've noticed also is a lot of my peers being at home the, 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 the past few years or a year and a half, they kind of started thinking about ways that they could basically be independent workers, more contractor based than actually work full-time for a company, which I think is going to be a trend in the coming years. So it's, it's interesting, but I think at the end of the day is 50, 50, 50% is a personal experience of 50% is what happens at the actual work and how, how, how those things be effective. Speaking of those changes and experiences you had personally, I 
I'm wondering where this passion for climate change came into play. Was it during your trajectory in the corporate world? Was it pre that or how does that mix that you saw like, no, something's got to be different or how did it play out? We got to change. Yeah. So first off, I grew up with a dad, like my, my father is a guy that loves nature. So every time that he has a chance to go into the interior or just go fishing, he always goes. So of course, growing up, I thought that was one of the coolest things ever going fishing, being on the river. And then you start to appreciate nature in a certain manner, but it is true. It wasn't until I was into like the, the corporations here, I was part of, of how they, they, um, operated that I started to learn about the damages being done to our country, right? And the amount of zero care that we have towards the climate and what is happening with that. So that started the rabbit hole on basically for me. But also it was part of the fact that I was trying to find reason in what I was going to do further with my life, right? It's like, I was trying to find a way to implement change, but kind of having that as a main job. <laughs> so with, it, it, it was just that idea of, Hey, I, I think I could do something to help better the, the, the climate adaptation within, within the country. But it was just seeing all these things, seeing how people didn't care, like putting money over long-term effects basically. Cause a lot of people in their head, especially in countries such as Suriname, where we have an abundance of, of like well-preserved nature, right? We kind of have this idea like, yo, if we have this gold mine now, I mean, eventually trees will go back, but it's not that simple. And that's what I kind of learned. So it was a rabbit hole of learning how much of our forest is actually just given away and it's in hands of the private sector, right? And they could basically do a lot with that, with that power. So it, it was just a rabbit hole, learning more stuff, learning more stuff. And just that changed my mindset. So quickly on that, like I'm, I'm going to jump straight in because it's really interesting. So of course there are, there are different approaches to, to kind of dealing with, with these economics versus nature kind of things. And yeah. for those of let's, let's kind of, especially for those who are listening, whether it's live or in the recording that are from outside of Suriname, they kind of don't have the scope on what kind of na nature destruction is going on in our country. but. But there are two things that, that for me are, are kind of considered solutions. One is preservation. You really preserve and you kind of break things in place to kind of preserve. And the other one is restore through innovation. So you find innovative ways on parts of nature that have been completely destroyed and you kind of rehabilitate it. So if you had to go for a strategy for, for sure now for, uh, would you go for a preservation strategy saying like, Hey, we should, we should preserve our rainforest or would you go like, maybe we can go the innovative route and kind of restore what has been destroyed. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's a great question. So what I'm focusing on is using innovation to preserve. And that's a concept that people really haven't tried to develop, right? Is how could we use these technological advancements that are being made and are to be made? How could we use that somehow to really preserve that, that first of all, the, the nature that we have, how could we preserve that? And then you could start looking at how we, how could we 
we regenerate these plots of lands that have been destroyed completely. Because that's also a, a different thing. All those gold mines that we have that are basically small companies that don't really care about nature, they're useless. You can't do anything on those pieces of, of land. It, you have to invest a lot of money to regenerate it, to bring back that piece of nature that you destroyed. But yeah, to answer your question is using innovation in order to preserve. I want to scope this out a bit, but usually we're very focused on, you know, Suriname, I think it's 93% most forested country in the leaderboards. But if you look scope out, we're just a small patch from the whole Amazon. If you look at exactly. Brazil, Venezuela, Guyana, that, that whole front. So this, this brings me to wonder, even if you have all these innovative solutions for implementation locally or preservation, how do you see this ripple out to a broader extent without necessarily having too much pressure from countries like Brazil with their policies and the other countries? How do you see that innovation for preservation of the, the nature go beyond just Suriname? First off, it, it would have to be that the, the model works, right? And that would mean that the model has economic incentives. That that's something that I discovered also is that people won't really care unless they get paid for it, or there's a way that they could earn more money. With it. So that, that is why we're looking at technology such as web three and just the blockchain in, in essence, in creating and being open and safe. So secure with the way that we go on about creating that economic incentive. And secondly, that same technology gives you the ability to scale basically to an infinite number in that sense. Right. But the strength also lies in the, in, in the community that's being behind, that's behind the project and that's being built with the project. So that's why we, we, we chose that route. We had the idea ever since last year, but then we saw exactly what you're talking about is that when you start looking at, for example, countries such as Brazil or Peru or other large that countries that have rainforests, Habon, uh, you have Indonesia. You have all these countries that have way more fast amounts of nature and, and especially rainforest than us, but it's about creating a model that works e even if it's scalable. And that's the journey that we've been on. If it kind of answered your question. Yeah, I think, I think we also have to frame it for people that are, are listening in. Suriname is like Diego said, the most forested country in the world based on percentage of land that's covered by a rainforest, which is 93%. It has been slipping, but by far now it's, it's the biggest. We recently had Bolsonaro, the president, the Brazilian president here. He's been known quite for using the Amazon resource for, for economic gain, simply to the fact that he says, well, listen, you guys, the rest of the world aren't paying us to preserve our rainforest. So we're going to use it economically as well. And when he was in Suriname, he met with our president. And one of the things against it was the indigenous who came up and were like, Hey, wait a minute. You're going to work together with somebody who's known for destroying our land and exactly. we are working for our, our, our rights and, and economics, the, the economic incentives are, are difficult. Just for an example, we talked about gold already and the, the scallions, which take gold, take gold out of the water on yeah. at the lake. It's funny. Diego mentioned that he listened to your episode and from Lomasdale Lake. But that's one of the biggest issues is like, you, you can't really promote tourism, either a sustainable tourism when you're at a 
touristic resort and you're standing there at the waterside and you see a scallion who's yeah. busy digging coal. Every angle. It, does, it doesn't add up. You're looking at it. It, doesn't. it, 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 it just doesn't. It just doesn't add up. So, so to, to create a little, now that we have contexted like why this is so, such an important issue for us, what kind of solutions, if you can give us a little bit of a tip, what kind of innovative solutions do we have to to preserve nature in that sense? It depends, right? Because I could be controversial about this topic, <laughs> but it, it the truth of the matter is that a lot that's being done right now is it's it doesn't work. It's or it, it's the minimal amount of input available to actually bring on about change. So that's first well, like one of the first things that that created Infinitry is just us being mad that there's a lot of money being spent, but no actionables, nothing that actually works. So that's one. But secondly, there are, okay, maybe I could tell you my utopian dream. My utopian dream is that the, the word of a, for example, let's take one tree, one standing tree in the rainforest is that by the time that this model exists, people could look at that one tree or this, this plot of land and think twice before cutting down a tree, because there's maybe not equal amount of value as knocking down the tree and selling it as wood pellets, but there is value in keeping the tree alive. So now you, the, 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 the model that works the most is carbon credits. It's a model created by the Euro European union. It's called the red plus system, basically that you could ask as a country, you could, if you're carbon neutral, you could ask for these carbon credits which have a financial word, like an economic word, depending on who, who wants to buy these credits to make a company carbon neutral, right? So we have these oil companies that say that they're carbon neutral, but basically they're just buying these credits and saying, Hey, yeah, I, I have reservations about that system as well. Exactly. And it, it's one of those projects that I believe doesn't work. It's, it's, it just can't work because what you're doing is not actually working. But we do believe that we could manipulate these exact models that are being put in, right? Being backed by these large organizations and we could create different value by basically compounding all these different models for our rainforest. Yeah. At that rate, it gets very complex. And the reason I mentioned before my, my reservation on the corporate credit credits things, just for some context, like three for 2017. I also participated like in a hackathon in Germany during the COP23 and it was also a blockchain based hackathon and that gave me some perspective on how, you know, all these superpowers, these world powers, they have this meeting, policies this, policies that, and you there, you're trying to innovate, come, come up with solutions, etc. And this stock of carbon credits also came up and it was clear to see like, as you mentioned, you had this oil company is just offsetting it just to look good on paper and in their country or where, wherever they're doing the production, there's still loads and loads and loads of you no know, destruction happening, even to the microplastics level that that's a whole other rabbit hole that I do not think we should go into this episode, but coming back to the topic of carbon credits. So one of the solutions, at least that we, as a team that was there suggested was for us kind of like the, the rainforest, like tracking the rainforest, et cetera, 
trying to integrate a tag or something that you have the social, yeah, social control so that people can just go if, if they're in a forest or something and they scan that area that that gets tracked on the blockchain, on the ledger. But then this brings problems of, you know, you need the right institutions to be able to facilitate this. So there's a constant pressure between innovation and government and formal institutions on what's get integrated. And on the, the third party is the private sector kind of just chipping away at the pie. But should it, be, should it be, should it be, I'm quickly going to jump in, Diego. Should yeah, it just, be that way? Yeah, just, just to finish the question, how do you see that dynamic and to add to Sean, look, should it be that way? Yeah, so I, I don't think it should be. That's, that's just my honest opinion. I think it should be decentralized in that sense, right? So I think the nature is something that you can't own. You can't say you own it, but you, the, I, I'm lost for words because it's, it's the exact same thing that we're trying to fight. We're basically trying to take hands out of these organizations that are, or for example, we, when we started researching about infinity and we started looking into maybe grants, we could ask all these NGOs about for that we could do some work in the rainforest. We figured out that by the time that our project would be get a green check, that it would be their project, right? It wouldn't be our project anymore. So that kind of gave us the incentive also just to be like, well, basically keep it. Then we'll try to figure out a way that we could do it on our own. And that's where the idea of which you heard in the, the, the last spaces is that's why you want to create a doubt. You want to find people internationally that are infested in the same thing that we are and just do it as a community and build from there on out. So before we go into that, you just mentioned a DAO and for the people who don't know, a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. So you have these DAOs popping up like crazy, especially the last yeah. year. And uh, one uh, around climate change that I've seen is climadao.finance. I'm not sure how they work in particular, but have you seen similar models looked into these and what are things you see like would be while you propose that solution, what would hold people back for, I guess, mass adoption or, or just starting off with a DAO? Where do you see that gap that needs to be initially filled? I think trust, to be honest, I, I because there, there's a lot of DAOs that are basically just doing nothing, right? It's like their links DAO is a DAO that's going to buy a golf club. And I, I have a different DAO that I put money in. It's called Mad Realities and it's basically a decentralized dating online show. And it's like you, people create these crazy DAOs and I've been looking into all of them just to figure out what, why are people actually interested in this? Why are they putting money into these DAOs that like, let's say I'm in Suriname and I put in money into the Lynx DAO and they buy a golf club in wherever. That I can't go golf there, right? But what is it? I think it's the sense of community. And maybe if I am a golfer here in Suriname, right? I feel like I belong. I have ownership. I have a part saying in some golf club in, in America, but it's also just the ability that we haven't been able to do that. Like, for example, I, I, I never had an opportunity to buy some or be part of some company in Russia. <laughs> right. I, I, but now that possibility exists. 
But the DAO space is very interesting and you have a lot of scams, what look like scams or not tangible products. So, but yeah, you have that with. Yeah, but that's what well, any, any time something new pops around, that's exactly. how it starts. You know, that's how it yeah. starts. It's also like the, 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 there's a lot of negativity around cryptocurrency and, and, and blockchain because of that, because it's new, because it starts out and it hasn't been legitimized and then it starts becoming more legitimate and then the kind of mass adoption comes. So it, 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 to a certain degree, it sounds a little bit like crowdfunding, but then again, it isn't. So it's, it's kind of this weird concept that if you're not really familiar with the space, a DAO basically says you nothing because it can be anything. Like if you're a regular person and you don't know about it, people can convince you about, about anything. But I love the fact that you said it has to be decentralized. And the reason it has to be centralized is just because there will be much more ownership as if it's decentralized. Like if it's centralized, there just has to be one person with power that doesn't find it interesting and the project is done. Like we don't, we don't grasp how many projects that could have been helpful to society in general just get lost because of a power struggle between two people or two, two agencies. So I think from that perspective, we still are in a learning curve that we can understand like, Hey, wait a minute. It doesn't have to be like this. On the other side, I do have a question. I, I feel like in some cases we try to invent new things and come up with solutions, which in the past have been there. Like for instance, I recently learned about the planning strategy of, of Paramaribo, where like certain streets that go from east to west all had similar kind of trees and then from north to south as well, different kind of trees. And also depending on what soil there was and if there was a lot of water, it would be palm trees and otherwise it would be, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure what kind of trees, but then came the question like, why wouldn't you as a government on the east-west road connecting the, the east and the west of Suriname. Why wouldn't you along that road plant trees on the side, trees that can be used for export that we can earn money with and do it in such a way that it's in between and that you can grow trees. And then two years later, you can build in between them and you can make a whole infrastructure. First of all, you create a green, greener country. Secondly. <laughs> There's less opportunity for cars to fly off the road. And at third, you're actually making money from, from that process. And all these kind of things that were done in the past with a certain ideology are just completely lost. And it almost feels like in some cases that it's become all about, but can I earn from it? And, and that's why. On one side, you can be like, yeah, but it's corruption. And then on the other side, like it's, it's a personal thing. So why don't you completely decentralize it and let other people decide if they want to be part of it, they want to earn from it. What I want to know, Tim, is like the general perception of this, like, are there already certain projects or in certain countries that are really jumping into this space saying like, we want to have a greener environment, want to have a better environment and have already invested in creating a framework for, for, for sustainable environment. Yeah. So I, I totally agree with you. And there have been projects, there's even projects where they try to create uh, their own network where a part of the profits go towards planting trees and whatnot. But I also don't believe in just planting trees to 
plant trees. You know, like you, you need to find a way to make it sustainable. Like half of, like you said, like if it's planting trees and you could earn something or people in that community could earn something from it, then please do plant trees, but don't just plant trees because it sounds cute, <laughs> but yeah, there have been projects and I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think it could be a lot better, especially with the type of funding that they're getting. It, it makes me wonder if I'm crazy. Or if I see something that no one else is seeing, but that's also the part where I'm trying to do it myself, like with people that have the, the same mindset and let's try to create something that actually works because right now, the most of the money that goes towards preservation or goes towards climate adaptation is, is just donations. So it's basically just free money. Before, where does this money come from, from donations, etc.? It's the same companies trying to be be greener, right? By the end of the day is these companies that are trying to force their self in to invest money into green initiatives or sustainable goods. I think the only real funding, private equity funding that's being done into the greener space is for renewable energy, because I think that's something that PCs and wall street actually believe in, and it shows in the numbers, but other projects are just seen as handouts. As okay, we'll give some money, send us pictures of what happened that a community has a local computer, and then we'll be happy and all, like just about our day. But if, if you want to look at real money being spent and invested, exactly greenwashing. If you if you want to look at real money being spent or invested, then you have to look at renewable energy. But also that has destructive qualities. Right. Renewable energy isn't just this utopian dream. It, it destroys the earth in some shape or form. Yeah. Like with okay. the windmills that they have to bury right. on quick, the sand because they quick can't. controversial question around energy. Okay. Do you believe, or what, what, what's your stance on the energy use around oh. the mining of cryptocurrency? Well, this is like the, the, the first question everyone asks you, right? When they hear that, they, they tell like BTC, Bitcoin, what are you doing with the earth? It's like, okay, I get it. I get it. First of all, like the, the technology is changing, right? And we see that with these new coins that are popping up, such as Solana or these other fast coins that propose that they use less energy or layer two Ethereum, where they talk about proof of stake. And so I, I think we're just at the, the, the forefront of technology and the advancements still have to be made. So I think by, by a set of time, crypto will probably be more efficient than a normal banking network or whatever. So about that, it's just wait, have, you, have you, there's something you said in your answer, Diego, that I'm going to use from now on. So next time somebody asks me that I'm going to ask them, so how much energy did the first computer take? Remember those computers in the 60s where there were, like, there were like 10 of those boxes that were human-sized boxes? Misguided. It's, it's a whole room. Focus yeah, and it. now it's a, it's a lithium battery that's like this big that, that has 10, 100 times amount of the power. So basically, you can't compare it to that. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, just let, let's all wait a little bit, have some faith, and not try to bash things because Bitcoin mining is... is but it's Bitcoin mining, by the way, is really bad for you. <laughs> like it uses a crazy amount of power. So that, that is one thing. But I think if you look at other networks and other coins and the technological advancements they are making, it's only the, the slope is only going down when it comes to energy usage. 
I'm still going to call BS on those people for now on because if you if you look at the ecological footprint, like for the oh, it's very small. Yeah, yeah. So for the past two years, for the past two years, is the first time in the history that I can remember that my ecological footprint has been around. So for for people that don't understand what the ecological footprint is, yeah. So how do you measure? So how do you measure your ecological footprint? They look at like the the house you own, how much energy you consume, how much you drive your car. Do you kind of pull carpool together with other people, or take the bus or public transport, or do you have your own car or multiple cars in your house? How often do you travel? Do you take the so so basically your ecological footprint is like how much of the earth do you consume? And they kind of the way they measure it is saying like. If everybody in the world consumes the same way that you do, this is how many Earths we need. So if your ecological footprint is below one, it means that if everybody lived the way that you are living, that we have enough uh, space here on Earth for all of us. My ecological footprint is like three or four Earths most of the time. And the main, main reason why it is that much that if everybody lived the way that I do, we would need four times the earth that we have now. The main reason is travel. It's emissions from airplanes that I use. So whenever F somebody wants to say like, yeah, but Bitcoin is destroying the earth, I'm going to ask them like, how often do you travel a year? So, so and then, then the discussion is over because Unless we realize how much emissions and how much we are damaging the earth due to the fact that there are hundreds of flights leaving every week, even from Suriname, there are hundreds of flights leaving every, every month. If, if we understand that, then we're, we're going to have to look at it solutions very differently. Because, yeah, I have, to, I have to Google that quickly for yourself. If it's carbon footprint or ecological, I know it has ecological footprint. I, I know it as ecological footprint. So it's it's the, the the demand on a supply of nature that you would need for yourself, and how many people, if you if they use, if everybody in the world used the same amount of uh, energy and and emissions that you are using, how many Earths would you need? And for me, the only due to COVID, because I don't, I haven't traveled by plane for for two years now. That's the only reason I'm, I'm below below one, because otherwise I would be like tenfold. Yeah, that, that's true. And I think it is ecological footprint because that more has to do with your consu consumption and carbon footprint has more to do with your emissions. So for example, the carbon footprint of a, a sawmill is higher than, for example, a warum. but ecological footprint could, could be lower. Yeah. So you you, you can look it up. If you search for uh, a footprint calculator, if you go to ecological footprint calculator, if you Google it, footprintcalculator.org, you can measure for yourself. And it just says there, how many planets does it take to support your lifestyle? And it's, it's very, it's very shocking because you will be, you will be shocked by how much you consume ecologically, but just remember that most of it, it's, it's, it's emissions from, from airplanes. If you travel. If, if you don't do that, then your, your ecological footprint just drops drastically. Yeah. It's crazy to just uh, fathom how much, you know, the, the global supply chain with travel, logistics, et cetera, impacts uh, this, this part of, you know, this, this footprint.
moving on to the, the next section, actually, we've talked about the climate change and, you know, greenwashing. There's a lot of conspiracy, controversy uh, around these things. Do that with what you may. So we, you've told us your journey on, you know, how you got all this passion for climate and preservation and creating a more sustainable world. What was your first encounter with the tech, like the innovation side, like where, where did, were you like, it clicked, this could change or, um, it so, so it, it, the first time I encountered anything blockchain related was I think 2012, 2011, when there was the hype, uh, about Tor browsers and being able to go on this, this dark market. Right. And it's like, okay, so I was young, I was in the Netherlands with my best friend at that time. And we were just kind of researching, just trying to see like, yo, what is this? And I think Bitcoin price at that point was 50 euros. So. Oh, so, so you don't own like 50, 50 Bitcoin now. Oh, I wish. That is one of my biggest mistakes. This using Bitcoin as like too consumptive and not seeing the future of it. Right. But. One problem that I did have early on was it, it works, but it's not adaptable worldwide. At least at that point it was. So two years ago, when I started to see the changes, um, see, especially the developments on Ethereum and seeing what people were really doing with the technology, like good projects on um, solid projects. That's when I started to see like, Hey, there's, there's a future. Maybe it's going towards the right the right, the right point. And last year, was it, was it already last year or the year before that? Well, time goes back fast. My, the, the same guy that I explored this Bitcoin with back in 2011, he came on vacation here and we were talking, just busy talking and he was more in the space. So shout out Jafin, she, Rajiv Kampafe, and he was kind of really telling We're still trying to get him on. But yeah, good luck with that, buddy. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not probably, probably not going to happen. But hey, G, if you happen to watch it, please come on. He has a great mind too. And he was telling us about these layered NFTs and NFTs that could change depending on the time and our different properties. So that's when we really started to look at, yo, we could use this for the greater good. We could start using this technology just to help bring on change. And so I think, yeah, two years ago, that's when it really pop started popping off for me clicking. And, and for you, just, just out of curiosity, what, what projects, which either blockchain, crypto or NFT projects have you been, have you been interested in? Have you said like, I want to dabble a little bit and this sounds like a project that I would invest in. Currently, I would say I've been into the Solana space with gaming NFTs because I, I see, I've seen a few projects there that I really like. And also the Justin Khan, which I look up to in certain senses. So he launched Fractal and I've been invested into Fractal ever since a little bit, but also Genies, which is, I think on the flow blockchain, the flow network, I think a project Dapper Labs. And I love all of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Most, most of the Dapper Lab product. Yeah, Dapper Labs. They're good. Is... Yeah, I like Dapper Lab. So NFL all day, uh, NBA top shot. I like those two projects. And which one? I think that's it for now. Basically, yeah, that's it. But I, I just like products with real world utility, basically, right? Just, it's like a way that you could bridge those two, not fully 
meta based, but having more so just a, a bridge because I'm still alive here and I need to be able to make it part of my life. Those are the best projects. How are so not a picture online? By the way, people, this is not financial advice. <laughs> we just no, it's not. have a personal question. <laughs> yes, it's not financial advice. Don't lose money. Just following on that curiosity trail, how hard or what challenges did you face from being back here in Suriname to stay in touch with the space, to interact with the space, to interface, just being able to invest? Because we talked about, you know, venture capital stocks, there's a lot of barriers there, but for you in the blockchain space, NFT space, crypto space, how easy was it for you or how difficult was it for you? Uh, for me, it was really easy, right? Cause I just asked someone that was already into the space, like, Hey, I want to start. I could give you fiat. Do you want to just help me out? And he was more than, than, than kind to, to help me out. So yeah, it, it really started for me. It was easy. It was just really asking for help. I've seen, I've heard stories of people that had zero dollar. That's like no ability to get any crypto or any form, but they were in a discord server and they asked someone for hey, yo, do you want to follow me some money so I could start? And people are like, Hey, yeah, why not? <laughs> so and that's also all scams happen though. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. Guys, please don't, don't. Just don't take it as advice, but I've seen good things happen, but uh, yeah, there, I, I've had my fair share of learning what a scam is. So yeah, yeah. And especially now it's getting more mainstream. People are, it's you know, crazy. Right? In the early days, yeah. there was a, a lot of good intent, but now with new it's, blood coming It's always been good intent. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just, I'm bad intent. It's just when there's so much good intent, people try to benefit from it as well. That's, that's also just, just a general problem. And they also use FOMO, right? So like. FOMO is like the killer of all things for people because I've seen it in the fractal discord where they were able to hack the discord and someone just dropped the link and it was saying mint. So people clicked on it like crazy and they lost all of their whole wallet worth of salt. And thankfully they have a, a multi-millionaire millionaire startup founder. So he's like, Hey, I'll give everybody back their, their money. But in other cases, it's just bye-bye, right? just lost it emptied the wall with black gone <laughs> but that's because of fomo because people wanted to be the first to mint right so I, they, I, they I always call it fomo it's greed i, I yeah, agree <laughs> we'll just want to get no let to get rich quick and that's uh, something that's so easy to pry oh yeah and sure enough there's somebody commenting that already a cameron fryer on socials is cameron surname as grassroots uh is commenting yes that's something we're kind of very prone i think the first ever Official social conference, Diego and I went on a rant about how kind of the, the most popular crypto blockchain related projects in Suriname have been scams, which is why yeah. also a lot of people have been really skeptical. And that's why we think it's important to have somebody like Jafinci on, uh, on here to kind of tell the other side of it as well. I think we have just enough time to switch over to over and underrated. So Tim, we're going to give you some topics briefly can be random. I'm thinking of a few now and you just give your, us your take. If you think it's an underrated subject or an overrated subject, and if possible, you could give a brief explanation. So you want to pick it off, Shanluk? So Timothy, first off, physical art, physical artwork, is it overrated or underrated? 
So that's a difficult one. I see some artwork uh, behind you there. Yeah, so I really love artwork, physical or digital, doesn't matter. But at this point, I'm going to say under. All right, here comes the controversial one, recycling. Ah, oh, that's, that's overrated. That's a scam. Don't, plastic recycling is a scam, at least. Other forms of recycling, they have some utility, but plastic recycling is a scam. Please look it up for your research. Okay, could you, for those who haven't done, kind of give a, a little tippy toe into the, into the waters on, on most, on the most important aspects? Okay. So plastic recycling isn't profitable. There's no sustainable way of actually to recycle plastic and it just loses quality over time. So after one time recycling, which already degrades the quality of the plastic is just not useful. China stopped importing plastic. So basically no one else is willing to pick up your plastic and yeah, they were the biggest importer. They were, and you have some third world countries that are, are developing countries, my bad that are trying to do it, but it's just dirty work. People really have to go through a lot of ways to pick out the plastic. Plus not all plastic is recyclable, recyclable, even though people say that it is. So plastic is, we need to get rid of plastic, but it's difficult because it's actually useful. Ooh, okay. So let's say that kind of area topic, electric cars. Uh, a little bit over it, but I, I want to say Tesla is a little bit specifically just electric cars are they're a little bit underrated but tesla specifically is a little underrated. that's all i could say jab on elon i don't love elon musk i really don't love him i think i think elon is a scam okay okay i was gonna ask oh. elon, but... <laughs> okay okay i was gonna ask about elon but uh, let, let's switch to another Twitter personality. Okay, go to uh, Bill Gates. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Richard Branson. Ask me about better guys. Just not these. Like I, I have this this thing about these these old white guys or these that are just there. I just go to space. That's what I should say. Just I wish them a lot of luck with that that journey. Okay. Yes. I'll, I'll throw in my last one immediately. Space travel. You still believe uh, Diego? I do believe in space travel. So with commercial space travel is overrated, but actual expeditions to find usable things that that's underrated. Cause I think the focus has been on commercial space travel, right? Just yeah. The, the latest developments have been yeah. going into that direction, but yeah. One more for you, Jean Luc, and then we can. Yeah. Um, if I'm allowed, I want to jump in because it's said come with more interesting names. So I'm going to go with Ricardo Semler. Hmm. Oh, well, it's still over underrated. I'll say underrated just because not a lot of people know about it. I, that's the, at least a lot of people know about Elon Musk, just the name, right? But not actually what he does or what he doesn't do. And I think people like Ricardo are people that they deserve more limelight, at least for people to decide if they like them or not. Awesome. Uh, and I think then that's a wrap for the over underrated. So to close this off, can you 
tell us a bit more about Infinitry specifically? What at what stage are you guys at? What can people expect? Uh, what's what are people looking forward to, and what are you personally looking forward to in the next few months? Thank you. So Infinitry, right now, we're at a stage where we're really trying to connect with the people, like-minded people. We're basically filling up our team members before we start launching our website and our roadmap and do all of that. We have currently, I think, a team of five members and which four of the original members are Surinamese, which was for me, something major that I wanted to do before you get to the international community and they basically cook your whole project, right? That you at least have locals that are invested in the same idea and the same mindset. And I also want to just basically create the space for other like-minded people that are willing to just solve this problem to join the team and see how they could be part of this, this thing that we're trying to figure out. Because that's one thing we have a roadmap of products that we will launch, but our main product that's creating that economic value for our rainforest. I think that's a long-term project and that's just a dream that we believe and create. So if people want to reach out to you, they hear this, they're like, okay, this sounds interesting. We want to do something with it. How can they reach out to you? Well, you can connect me on Twitter because I'm active on Twitter. You can find me at Holtan, like Holtan Day. So Holtan Day Day, if that makes sense. But why do you We can put it up. Hold on. Give me a second. Yeah. We will put it up in a second. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that's the easiest way or LinkedIn. If you want, want to have a more professional space, but yeah, that's, uh, th those, those are my major, my two main places. Okay. So I'm going to cheat last one. Since you only mentioned Twitter, is Twitter your main social platform that you use? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I like Twitter ever since way back, I think 209. That was the first year I got on Twitter, 2009. All right. And last question here for our public, for our viewer. Local, do you need to live, reside in Suriname at the moment? Of course not. We're looking for Surinamese people all over the world. That's, that's key. So if you're, if you feel like you're interested in this project or you want to help or just be part of the team, connect, let's connect. Let's see what we could do together. Sorry, I'm going. I want to say there's a lot of interesting Surinamese people that are busy also in Web3 that are not in Suriname, but they're just really busy trying to figure shit out for themselves. So yeah, I want to connect with all of them. Yeah. If, if you can find them, get them on, we need to spotlight them a bit more. I'll be an ambassador for the show. Definitely. Awesome. So there's your answer stuff. So just FYI stuff is in Sweden at the moment. So if you need something from the Scandinavian, someone from the Scandinavian area. There you go. It definitely helps. Yeah. All right. I think that's a wrap for today. So Sean, look, any last announcement, anything people should look forward to for later today, uh, since that's a special event. Yeah. If, if you're into sports, of course, <laughs> we have a Day exclusive coming on later today. We're going to be live, or at least I'm going to be live in the stadium covering the match, the pregame during the break and after the postgame uh, interviews, we're going to do it there. So. That will be a lot of fun. Of course, for social convos, we'll just be back uh, next week as usual. And we're really happy to have uh, Timothy as one of our alumni now, even saying he's going to support uh, the program. I completely agree with Timothy on Twitter. If, if you're a web tree enthusiast, if you're really connecting with everybody all over the world, really make sure that you step your Twitter game up and 
if you have an old account, which you used as a teenager, Legacy. it's okay. It, no, it's okay to make a new one <laughs> or at least delete all of your old tweets. I, I would recommend that as well, but definitely, definitely Twitter is definitely the space to connect with the rest of the world. And if you're, especially if you're into web tree. So that's it from my side. We really want to thank you for, for being part of social convos. Diego, this was social convos, I guess. Until next week. <laughs>